You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So one of the things that you want to be careful not to do is to overuse the word special, right? Because if, if everything is special, then, then nothing is special, right? That, that makes sense. And so you, you, we just have to be choosy when we use the word. But then sometimes... Uh, when you have a lot of special things happening all at once, what do you, what do, you do with that? You know, what, do you, what do you call that? What do you say? Well, I think one of the worst things to do is to just ignore it and call it nothing. I, I think it's important for us as a church to, to stop every now and then and to reflect on just where we are as a people. I think the, the, the idea is I, I think it's good for us to have a kind of corporate self-awareness. We, we want to, every now and then, to, to deliberately be mindful of and sensitive to what's going on around here. So the question is, we, we want to ask, by the power of His Spirit, through the grace of the Lord Jesus, what is God doing in our church? Like, what's He doing here? That's the question that we want to ask, and right now, the short answer to that question is that he's doing something special, okay? And because there's a lot of special things happening all at once, I think it's fair to say that God is leading our church into a special season. We're entering into a special season in the life of our church, and therefore today, I would like to preach a special sermon that talks about that. Now, our normal practice, if, if you probably know if you've been part of our church, our normal practice is to preach through the Bible verse by verse. And typically, we let the sermons just emerge out of the passage. We've done that for 16 weeks in the book of Galatians. We just finished last week. Pastor David Mathis preached the end of Galatians 6. That's normally how we do it, and that is good and right and preferred, right, when it comes to how we preach. But today... I'm going to do it a little bit differently because what I'd like to do today is to frame the next 25 to 28 minutes of our time really as a reflection on God's grace to our church, past, present, and future. So we're going to get to Romans 6 at the end, but we're going to get there with an outline that looks at what God has done and is doing in our church, first in the past, now in the present, and then next in the future. That's the plan. Past, present, future. Let's pray. We'll get started. Father in heaven, you, you tell us in your word that it is your will for us that we give thanks to you in all circumstances. All circumstances. And if that's the case in all circumstances, how much more thanks should we give you in times where you make your grace so clear to us? God, you've been so good to our church, and we, we thank you. And so I pray, guide us this morning to understand your goodness to us even more. Do it for your glory, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So first, I want us just to recognize the grace of God to our church in the past. In the past, God has made us a church planted. That's the past. 
God has made us a church planted. Now, when you hear that, I wonder what you think. What do you think when you hear the word church plant? We all have to have something that comes into our minds. And whatever it is that you think, I just want to remind you that every church that has ever been at some point was a church plant. Right? Every church had to be started, which means there was a point when they were not, and then there's a point when they were. That goes for every church. I think this is important for us to keep in mind. For example, we have in the New Testament several letters that the Apostle Paul has written to churches. And Paul calls them churches. And we call them churches. But technically, they were all church plants. Right? We, we, just, we just heard uh, Pastor Mike read from Paul's letter to the Romans. Well, just so you know, the, the church in Rome had not been there for multiple generations as an established staple in that city. It was brand new. It was a church plant. Every church at some point started as a new gathering of men and women and boys and girls who have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and who come together to commit to help one another follow Jesus in this world. That is every church's story, and it's ours too. That's our story too. The one little difference about us is that compared to many churches, we can remember when we started. Because several of us in this room were there when we started. Just, I'm, I'm curious, how many in here right now were at the very first worship service of Cities Church, January 18, 2015? Raise your hand. Wow. We were there. So if you weren't there, you know people who were there. We, we realized that we were a church that started by God's grace. We started as a new church in 2015. And that was from a church that was started in 1871. From a church that was started in 1853. From a church that was started in 1849. From some English-speaking missionaries who had traveled to Minnesota from a very long ways away. And if we just keep going back, like if we just keep going way back, way, way back, eventually we're going to end up in the year 33 when the risen and ascended Lord Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on a little church plant in Jerusalem. Had a core team of 120 people. Well, 12, 11, 120. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2 is really where it all started. And any historical account of our church that does not include what God did in Jerusalem in the year 33 is too shallow. <laughs> the church, as the mystery of God hidden for ages, was first revealed in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And that church is part of our story. It's part of our story, which means, I just want to be super clear about what I'm saying here. What this means is that we as a church, we have the right and necessity to say that Jesus Christ himself is behind the existence of our local church. 
Jesus, right now, Jesus knows about us because Jesus made us happen. He did this. And so whenever you think about City's Church, whenever you think about our church having been a church planted, this is the way that I, I want you to think about it mainly. I want you to know that Jesus did this. Just look, look around for a minute. Seriously. Jesus did this. He did this. Now, there are, of course, particulars to our story. There were all kinds of means and ways that God used. There were people with agency who were involved because that's the way that God works. But I don't think we can really overemphasize the fact that God did this. God has made us a church planted, and therefore, we should give God thanks. Like, it should just be easy for us. To give God thanks because he is the one who has brought us here. So praise him. Praise the Lord. That's the past. God has made us a church planted. Now the present. The present is that God is making us a church rooted. And you've heard me talk that way. Because for about the last 12 months, we've been talking this way as we've tried to, to really name and, and to mark this moment in the life of our church. At one point in our church's history, we did not know where we were going to gather on Sunday. The building where we had met for worship was suddenly destroyed, suddenly, like on a Wednesday. And for a bit there, we... We just bounced around Sunday to Sunday. I was on the phone throughout the week trying to find a place where all these people could get together. And in God's kindness, he provided for us an interim space at Concordia University, not too far from here. Who in the room, just curious, who in the room was part of City's Church when we met at Concordia University? Wow, a few more. Okay. Well, the whole time that we were there, we felt the clock ticking. Right? We, we knew it couldn't last long, um, but, but we didn't know where else to go. But then, in God's kindness again, God's kindness to us again, we found this building. And we became renters here, and we began to gather here for worship. Easter 2018. And just to be honest with you, it was a mess. Like, there was a lot of clunkiness that was happening behind the scenes. There were things that were overpromised. We had to get attorneys involved. Like, it was around this time that I began to get gray hair, okay? And that's when Pastor Joe lost his hair. Like, you can go back and look at photos. I think our first Sunday here, you still had some, and then it just was gone. We, it was, there was some stressful, it was stressful. But we knew, man, we knew that this building right here was made for worship. Not just worship. This building was made for the worship of Jesus Christ. And we knew that this building, the location of this building is 
super strategic for our church planting vision in the Twin Cities and in an amazing turn of events. I mean, stunning. By the fall of 2019, we had the opportunity to purchase this building, which we did in January of 2020. And then for several months in 2020, like every church in the world, pretty much, man, we just tried to hold on for dear life, right? And guess what? We did. Hey, God preserved us. He kept us. We, we held on. God kept our church. And then by God's grace, at the beginning of last year, we were determined, coming into 21, we were determined to freshly embrace what we are all about as a church. Man, we, we are here to make disciples of Jesus Christ from all nations and to plant more churches like ours in the Twin Cities. We exist to multiply and mature worshipers, servants, and missionaries of Jesus who live faithfully in the home, the church, and the world. And we want to start new churches throughout this metro who do the same. We want to start churches who are committed to the supremacy of Jesus and open your Bible relational discipleship. Also that within the next 30 years, we do our part in making Jesus Christ impossible to ignore in these twin cities. And toward that goal, like toward that hope, we're now in this special season where we as a church are called by God to settle in and drive the roots down because we're here. We're here. God has given us this, this place. He's given us this building, this location, this footprint. He's given us this to steward for his glory, to, to deepen and expand our ministry. God has given us this, all of this, God has given us this so that we would have more of Jesus together so that these cities might have more of Jesus through us. That's why we're here. So, the question, curious, raise your hand if you're here right now. Trick question. We're all here. We're here, all of us, in this moment. The real question is who's in? As we recognize God's grace to us in the past, and as we're aware of this special season that God's brought us into here in the present, we, we need to take stock and we need to know who are we doing this with? Like, who's in Cities Church? Who's part of this? Almost exactly a year ago, we invited everyone to freshly embrace what we're all about as a church. We invited everyone to invest in this footprint. We invited everyone to commit to give toward this vision. And over the last year, over the last 12 months, God has given us amazing strides forward. It's amazing. We have a very lean staff, very lean team but God has blessed us tremendously renovation plans are drawn up construction contracts have been signed dates are set in place and we could have this entire renovation project completed by December 
The ball's rolling, okay? That's what that means. The ball is rolling right now, okay? And also in the last year, the last 12 months, God has sent us droves of new brothers and sisters. Lots of you who are in the room today were not here last April. And so you may not have an idea, have a clue what I'm talking about, right? When I talk about rooted. But for those of you who weren't here last April, who have been have come to be part of our church in the last 12 months, I, I want to invite you. Come, come be part of this with us. Let's, let's do this together. If you've been attending Cities Church for a while, but you've not yet committed, I, I want to invite you to, to really seriously consider being part of our church. Would you consider, would you really consider joining this family? Would you come here to be a help meter and a help giver? with these people. That's the invitation. Presently, God is making our church rooted. And I want all of us to be all in. I pray for that. And I mean that, the all in part, I mean that in the, in the deepest possible way. Because this, this whole like rooted commitment Whole, this whole rooted initiative and, and your part in that, it really is just the tip of the iceberg because the deepest and truest prayer for this season goes way beyond physical renovations to this building and the physical provisions needed to make it possible. The greatest prayer that I pray, that we pray, the greatest prayer for this season is for an extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The real prayer and the real hope is that our church would know more of the power of God because what good is anything without the power of God? Like what, what, who cares about a building that is more accommodating to ministry if that ministry lacks supernatural life-changing power, right? Who cares if it lacks the life-changing power of God through his gospel? Like I'm just not interested in that. And you shouldn't be either. We don't want that. I don't care about that. That's not what we're here for. We need the power of God. We want more of the power of God. And so all of this, all of this rooted stuff is meant to serve that. And so we should ask the question, what might that look like? Like if God were to give us, if he were to give us an extraordinary outpouring of his Holy Spirit, which he can do, which he's pleased to do, if he were to do that, if he'd give us more of his power, what would change? How would it look? So we talked about past, present, now the future. Here's the future. God will empower us to continue becoming what we have become. And we're getting to Romans 6, okay? But here in the last part, I want to divide it up into four questions. Four questions we're going to raise, four questions we're going to try to answer. The first is this, what is the power of God? When I talk about the power of God, I don't want to leave any question in your minds about what I mean by that. I mean by the power of God what Paul means by it in Ephesians chapter 3 when he tells the church that he prays for them. 
Paul says, he prays for the church that God, according to the riches of his glory, would grant the church to be strengthened with power by his Holy Spirit. So that's the power of God, but what's the power for? Ephesians 3. It's power to know the love of Jesus. Paul prays that the church would have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's what he wants power for. That's what we need power for. Look, I know right now, I know there are all kinds of, all kinds of stuff going on in our lives, right? When we gather like this in this room, we're bringing all kinds of things into this room. And whatever that is for you, whatever it is that you have going on right now, I want you to know the most important thing for you is to be assured of God's love for you in Christ. It's the most important thing. More than anything, we need the power of God by his spirit to know the love of God through his son. Question two, where do we mainly look to find God's love, to see God's love? Well, I want you to see God's love everywhere. I, I want you to see God's love in sunshine and in birds that sing and in food on your table and in that great parking spot you found, right? I want you to see God's love everywhere. I want you to know God's love for you in that, as Jonathan Edwards once said, every atom of the universe is so managed by Christ so as to be most to the advantage of the Christian. I believe that. Every particle of air, every ray of the sun is for you so that you would enjoy God. I, I want us to know God's love like that, but where's the main place we look to find God's love? Where's the main place we look to see God's love? Where's the fountain from which everything else flows? The cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. We know the love of God mainly not by what he's doing, but by what he has done. Our assurance of God's love is not invested in our positive circumstances because they will come and go. If you're basing your assurance of God's love on how well things are going for you now or how you feel in the moment, you're going to be like this. And some of your Christian, your Christian life's like that, right? Because we're looking to circumstances. That's not where we look for God's love mainly. If we're talking mainly, mainly, our assurance of God's love is found in Jesus dying for us in our place. The cross of Jesus Christ is the definitive display of God's love for us that never changes. And that's the message of Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to preach this in a few weeks. Verse 8. I heard this verse growing up every Sunday in the King James translation. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's the definitive historical event that displayed for us God's love. We look there to be assured of God's love for us. We look to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Question number three, what effect does the death and resurrection of Jesus have on us at a personal existential level? 
If we're looking to the cross and resurrection of Jesus to see God's love, what does that actually mean for us? Okay, we're just pressing in here. What does it mean for us? What, what effect does that actually have on us? The short answer is that it makes us dead and alive. Romans 6, finally, verse 3. Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, when Paul talks about those who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, he's talking about Christians. It's just a way to refer to Christians. To be baptized in the Christ is synonymous to trusting in Jesus. And that's because when we trust in Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, we become united with Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, that's the primary metaphor of our salvation. To trust in Jesus is to be incorporated into him, is to be united with him, which is precisely what baptism symbolizes. Baptism, which we're about to see here in just a few minutes, Baptism is the visible expression of the spiritual reality that we have by faith been united with Jesus such that when Jesus died on the cross, we died too. And when Jesus was buried, we were buried too. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, we were raised too. And that's Romans chapter 6 verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So see, there's death and there's life. We were baptized with Jesus in his death, and then we were raised to life with Jesus in his resurrection. And then in verse 6, Paul explains that this death is of the old self, and this life is of the new self. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. That sounds like Galatians, right? That's Galatians. Our old self has been crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then Paul goes from verses 7 to 10, basically just restating what he's already said in verses 3 to 5, and he lands it all in verse 11. Okay, We're going to preach the book of Romans one day. We're doing it quick right now. Verse 11. This is the fourth question. Because we have been united with Jesus in his death and resurrection, how should we think about ourselves? Verse 11 starts with the word so or thus, which means that Paul is about to say an inference. He, he's about to state a conclusion that he has reached based upon everything else he's been saying. Because we are united to Jesus. Because when Jesus died and was raised, our old self died and our new self began, we must therefore consider ourselves right now to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And that word consider, it means to regard or, or to reckon. It's, it's to think about yourself in a certain way. It means to consider yourself, to reckon yourself, to regard yourself as right now, in Christ, dead to sin. Dead to sin. No more. The old self is no more. It was crucified. It's over. The old self is gone. It's dead. 
But now, you're alive to God in Christ. Which means that now, the life of Christ, to whom you are united by faith, now lives in you as your life. This means that the power of God to know the love of Christ is not what leads to life change, but it's the power to recognize that our lives have been changed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. What it means, Christian, is that the most defining moment of your life happened 1,989 years ago when Jesus died for you and conquered death for you. That is where everything changed in your life, for your life. And so what we're doing now, what we're doing tomorrow, what we're doing every day in the future is that we just continue becoming who we have become in Christ. We continue becoming who God has made us to become in Christ. And that's why, honestly, we really can't be, we really cannot be anything but hopeful about the future of our lives and our church because the hardest work <laughs> the hardest work has been done the impossible has already been accomplished we live the christian life from a miracle And that's why I can say with confidence, I can say with confidence that as we walk together in this newness of life that is the life of Jesus in us, we will be City's Church. Our future means we will be a living and healthy and faithful church that is evidenced in a myriad of ways. Such as each of us at home and in the workplace and wherever we find ourselves, we will follow Jesus like Jesus is a real person because he is. We will build strong marriages, healed marriages. And we will have blessed children. We will establish happy homes and whole persons, which does not mean that any of us are going to be free from suffering, but it means that in our suffering, the all-satisfying worth of Jesus will be radiant because he gives us a joy that is inexplicable to the world. We will fix our attention on the word of God, and we will be shaped by this book. We will learn and we will grow together how to more deeply understand and wisely apply and winsomely communicate the good news of what Jesus has done. We will have a high priority and capacity to multiply more churches like ours in these cities and we're going to go. We are going to go to the nations. We're going to send missionaries to the all peoples of this earth, even as our church begins to reflect a little bit more the glorious multitude of Revelation 7. We as a church are going to witness to the wonder of Jesus, and people are going to walk by this building, and they're going to see you throughout the week, and they're going to know that those people know Jesus. And we're going to say, come on, we just found bread. Come on. We're just beggars who have found bread. What I'm saying about our future 
is that our church, because of the life of Jesus in us, will experience God doing something special. He's going to make us like a big oak tree with deep roots and with wide branches. And we're going to do our part to seek the good of the cities for the glory of God. We will have church. We will have more of Jesus together so that these cities will have more of Jesus through us. And along the way, we will celebrate the gospel of Jesus through baptism, like we're just about to do. We're going to celebrate what Jesus is doing, has done in the lives of people in this church through identifying with Jesus, showing our union with Jesus through believer baptism. And so we're going to pray to close, and we're going to just segue just like that to baptisms. Father, thank you for your grace to our church. Thank you for your grace to us, past, present, and future. Father, we say thank you, Father. Amen, Father. More, Father. More, we ask. We ask for more, for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.